Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Right, there we are. Okay, welcome to the second episode of the Present and Sober podcast with Sam and Ellie. And we've got a really exciting podcast for you today because Ellie is going to share her story with us, um, your alcohol-free journey. So, you know, where does that, where, how do you start that, Ellie? How do you begin? Okay, well, I, I always start in the middle and then I go back to the That's beginning the best way. the end. <laughs> Um, as, uh, as, as you know, and some people will know, I'm, so I'm a mum of, uh, three young kids. So I have a, at the moment they are seven, five and two. And so the first two in particular were quite, quite close together. And it kind of makes sense for me to start there because that's when my life really changed with kids. Yeah. So up until that point, I just classified myself as a massive social drinker. I was just like everybody else having lots of fun and drinking was really about social occasions as opposed to anything else. With children, things really changed. So the first one, so my, my eldest daughter, Pearl, um, when, when she was, well, in fact, let's go to pregnancy. So in pregnancy, so this, this is my first large period of abstinence. So, um, and, and it wasn't an issue, actually. I mean, I, I do remember, um, like, well, I suppose, no, it wasn't an issue because you, you are so, you're so focused on this new life and this experience of pregnancy and going through all the things that you go through that um, drinking and uh, abstaining, like it just, it didn't present any kind of an issue whatsoever. Where it was interesting was at the point that she's then born, and I then get into this um, uh, situation with breastfeeding. And uh, the advice really is to not drink whilst mm. you're breastfeeding. And, and I hadn't factored that in, right? So whilst the nine months of pregnancy, I'd kind of taken that as a given, I'm not going to drink then. I hadn't thought about what happens when the baby comes along. And indeed, I didn't know whether breastfeeding was going to work for me or... So anyhow, I'm now here with this baby. She's breastfeeding and I'm thinking, right, I don't know how long babies feed for. Like how long do I breastfeed for? How, hang on a minute, how long am I actually going to be abstaining for? That was where it kind of got interesting. Yeah. Although I, I did kind of let myself off the hook a couple of times, but I was I, in that first, with that first new baby, I was very much not drinking. And then when, when we'd have social gatherings, I would miss it. I would be, I'd, or I'd have to go through all of these lengths of pumping lots of milk beforehand to make sure that she had a stash of food and then dealing with my engorgement throughout the day and all of this business. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of, it was just a different way. Um, and then fell pregnant with Chester, who's my second one, my little boy in the middle. And again, the pregnancy wasn't really an issue abstaining, um, the, the difficulty with with him, the difficulty with him, I'm going to blame it all on him. It's his was, fault. It was his fault. L little boy hormones, my God, postnatally, I had a really tough time. Mm -hmm. And um, being a new mum with the first one, there's all sorts of things that you encounter. But 
I hadn't had the ferocity of hormonal um, disruption that I had with him. And I also, uh, the, the other thing that was new with having him as a little newborn baby was I had this little um, toddler running around or this, you know, little growing from a baby to a toddler. So life was really, really, really difficult. And um, the hormonal stuff threw me for a loop. To cut a long story short, I ended up with, um, I, I, I struggled to get to the doctor because to me, going to the doctor meant I was failing. And mm -hmm. so I battled on for longer than I needed to postnatally. When I eventually got there, I was there in floods of tears, couldn't hold it together. Um, I had these two little kids with me as I'm talking to my, my doctor. And I just remember like looking at them playing on the floor with the puzzles and things. And I just felt like a complete and utter failure and thinking these kids are going to be better off with, oh God, I'm getting choked up. These kids are going to be better off without me. And mm -hmm. um, it, it was it was really, really bloody painful. Um, so I just, I, I just didn't know how to fix it. And uh, they, I, I had a diagnosis of something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is essentially it, like PMS. A lot of women will suffer with premenstrual symptoms and um, mood changes, but this is like an extreme version of that. And anybody that's suffered with it will know how debilitating it is for once a month to, to just feel completely, it, it's, it's a bit like witnessing somebody else. Um, you are so disconnected from yourself. It's horrendous and horrendous oh. level of rage and anger and um, feeling out of control. So that's kind of what I was dealing with. And in that visit to the doctor, the thing that was, um, that was interesting that came out of that discussion was she asked me about, because um, she was looking to prescribe, so um, headed towards antidepressant territory. And she asked me, um, she asked me about like, did I drink? And I said, oh yes, I do. And she asked me how much. And I had to actually think about like think about it to answer the question. And I and I said something like, um, oh God, how did I describe it? I said something like, uh, I, I, I gave her a number of how, how many drinks I was having. Yeah. And she said, oh, glasses. And I said no bottles <laughs> like in terms of wine and it wasn't until I said that and I and I heard it out loud I heard myself saying that and I thought oh god that is quite a lot and she kind of looked at me bless her and she didn't really know she was just you know the middle-aged lovely lady um and she kind of looked at me a bit horrified and she said you need to cut down <laughs> how many <laughs> bottles do you think it was at that point I was probably drinking a bottle every night I think okay so when you I sort think. of said seven bottles a week or something, I must have said like I, I can't remember how I phrased it, but essentially like what I she was thinking, whatever I was saying in, in bottle terms, she was saying in in glass terms. Yeah, yeah. She she thought I was in glass terms. So anyway, that was kind of the first time I thought, oh god, actually that is quite a lot. And I and and I went away from there feeling very very bruised and battered, but also thinking like I have to do something about that. I hadn't I just hadn't pieced together that that's what I was doing to try and cope with all of the difficulties in my situation. Mm -hmm. So I went away with a prescription for antidepressants, which I didn't want, but um, I'm glad that I took them because what they allowed me to do is to just get my head above water. They just stabilized me and even me out, even on a low dose, just enough 
to be able to breathe. And within that breathing space, I introduced yoga. That's when I got into yoga. Interesting. And, and I came in through the restorative route, which I think is a really wonderful way to find yoga. Mm-hmm. And of course, then comes breath work and meditation and all of those sorts of things. Um, and the other thing that I did was I found a really, really good CBT therapist, so cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And um, those two things uh, really opened up a new space for me and a lot of healing. And naturally what happened was my alcohol consumption just went down because I was, in, instead of having no tools, I, I had some tools and I was focusing on other things. So I was, because I was going out to yoga class very frequently, this was back in the day when you could go to a yoga class, because I was out every evening, I wasn't at home, kids are in bed, right? I'm now gonna self-medicate with a glass of wine. So things naturally um, got a lot better. And this CBT therapist is a big shout out for therapy. This guy that I saw, I mean, he he and I connected very, very well. I really liked um, liked him from the, the off. Within one session with him, I pretty much dealt with my lifelong anxiety. And it, it was such a transformative experience. That's the power of somebody seeing you and being able to offer something. I mean, this is only an hour session. And, and, and just in a couple of questions, the power of changing my perception, it, it was huge. It's, yeah, it's mad. I, I often say to people, it's really hard to see the label from inside the jar. So you spend years trying to see it, trying to read it. And then if you step into yeah. the presence of somebody who's skilled in what they do within within an hour or half an hour, like you're explaining, Ellie, like, wow, what kind of a what an amazing shift. Okay, cool. Yeah. And the great thing also with him was so because I'd made so much progress so quickly and I had these paid sessions through my, my healthcare, uh, he said, Oh, we've got these sessions left. And, and I must have let slip at some point that I had um, arachnophobia. And he <laughs> said, Well, we could, we could have a go at that if you like. And I was like, really? And so he, he actually had me deal with my spider phobia as well. Now That's I've cool. tried everything over the years. I've tried everything. I've had every device I've paid for every contraption that you can think of. I've put conkers in the room. I've sprayed the house with peppermint. I've had hypnotherapy. Nothing conkers. has worked. Or there's all sorts. I've got all sorts of tips. Going to have to hear about that. Yes. That's a whole nother episode. <laughs> we, should do, we should do that because yeah. That's, it's a huge thing for people. And, and, and with his skill, I was able to deal. I mean, I'm not like, you know, I don't love them, but I'm in a very different space and able to cope with them. So, mm. so that, that yoga CBT um, fusion mashup was, it was so, it was so transformative. I also, the other thing actually I also did was I, um, I reseeded my gut. So I got into mm-hmm. um, uh, like, I, I cut out sugar gluten, dairy for a period, reseeded my gut, probiotics, prebiotics, all of that. And, and I just, I, I got rid of all of my inflammation. I felt so healthy and so good. I was in a really, really great spot. And then I felt pregnant again. <laughs> and so this is the third one. And mm-hmm. um, my pregnancy with her was probably the only one where I've really, really, really missed drinking. And um, it was, we had a really, really hot summer. I was heavily pregnant. We had a party here with lots of people and, and I felt like I was missing out and I was a bit grumpy about it all. And so when she was born, so I had both Chester and Pearl, I, I had at home. In fact, they were born like literally just there. Oh, cool. Just, just off camera in, in a birthing pool in here. And um, 
so when so Noah was born, like the sun was coming up up here, and it was just this magical situation. And um, after the midwives had left, I took her into the main part of the house, and she was with her dad, and I went and had a rest. And then when I woke up and she, little baby Noah's back with me, the first thing that I wanted was a nice, cool, refreshing glass of my yeah. favourite, <laughs> my favourite yeah. Garvey. I deserve that. I have gone nine months and abstained. It's a lovely, hot, sunny day. Um, you know, what, what more could you want? And, and I remember my neighbour coming in from next door to, to greet the baby. And um, she, she like looked at the nightstand with me and my glass of wine. It was about 11 o'clock. Bear in mind, I'll just say, I was up birthing her from probably about two o'clock in the morning. So for me, 11 o'clock the next morning was, you know, it was the end of the day. So mm. me having a glass of wine, like that was my reward. And this is, this is how I saw um, wine. It was my reward. She came into the room and saw me with the baby and this glass of wine on the nightstand at 11 o'clock in the morning. She thought it was hilarious. I'm like, what the bloody hell's wrong with you? I've been birthing a baby since two o'clock in the morning. I absolutely deserve, if ever there was a time I deserve my glass of chill it's now. wine, it's now. Um, but it's, it's funny now looking back on that, like that, that was, that was how I wanted to reward myself. Um, it, it's amazing that guardrail thing, how, you know, for nine months, the guardrail comes up. That's like this kind of conscious, like, I just wouldn't do that. And then the moment that we stop it's there's that lift. And it's funny how there's a parallels for that. I think in a lot of people with the sort of, you know, when you can stop drinking for a long time, um, because you know you can always start again but the kind of the moment you make the decision okay well this is like maybe a forever thing then it, it changes the dynamics of what's going on in your psyche and in your thinking around drinking um yeah mm. it's really interesting mm. to, to see that yeah i just want to check them back on because i tried to mute to blow my nose i think you're here well that's why i i, I that's why i hopped in <laughs> you, you can you hear me save you i can hear you i can okay, hear good. you you didn't hear me blow my nose did you <laughs> no no. Courtesy, this is courtesy of Noah, the baby and nursery, nursery germs. Um, yeah, so so the pregnancy with her, again, it was, it, it was just a bit different. And then I was mm -hmm. back in this postnatal situation again, massive fluctuation of hormones. My life's even now more complicated because I've got three of these little blighters running around. I've got my work. I volunteer with a charity. So, and, and all of those things don't stop because you're having a baby. So I'm trying to do all of the things and breastfeed a baby, which is very um, energy consuming. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's just tough. It was real hard yards. And of all of the three kids, this youngest one, she's never slept. So I've been sleep deprived for a very, very long time. And again, anybody that's been through that knows just what it's like and why sleep deprivation is a method of torture is, it is absolutely terrible. And um, it just, I mean, it just affects everything, everything that you do and how you show up. Um, and, and it's so hard to get out of the cycle. So, you know, Im imagine high stress levels, low sleep, low energy, um, have this hypersensitivity to hormone fluctuations, whether the, the diagnosis of PMDD was uh, right or not. Certainly every month I was finding that I was having this huge amount of volatility which was very, very difficult to manage and um, made me feel really terrible about myself because it, it's, it's like this outer body experience. Um, so the, you, after, after, you know, this third child, I've, I've just got huge levels of stress, 
um, anxiety. And wine became this way of switching off at the end of the day. This became this means of escape. Um, and I really, that how I described it, the first time I talked to Annie Grace, the first, the first time I talked to her, the way I described it was, I really felt like I was erasing myself bit by bit. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd gone from being this um, really social bubbly person to now I, I just felt like a bit of a shell. I felt like I was rubbing myself out because although I was working and running a business and being successful at certain things, I was nowhere near to reach my potential. I felt like I had this huge limitation placed on me and, and I didn't recognize myself a lot of the time. And I'm thinking, like, I can see the kids growing up fast. What happens when they go off to school and then they don't need me so much anymore? What, where's my identity? Who am I? What do I want to do with my life? Mm -hmm. I can feel myself edging towards a midlife unraveling. Like, you know, just this very, um, very uncomfortable place. Um, and whilst, like, people used to say to me a lot, make the most of your kids because they'll grow up so fast. And it was very, very well-meaning, but that used to make me feel terrible because I think like I can, some days I can barely get through the day. I'm so tired. I'm on my backside and I've got all this stuff to do. I haven't got the time to do it. I'm strung out. It, it, it was a really, really, really hard place to be. But what I didn't realize at the time was that by getting to the end of the day and then drinking wine as a means of relaxation, as a means of stress release. I didn't realize that that was the thing that was perpetuating the problem. Yeah. So um, it was a painful place for me to be in um, because I knew I had this inkling of two things that I was destined to do more and to be more and that life was about more, but I just couldn't figure out how to get out of it. And at this point I didn't realize that, that, alcohol and drinking I didn't realize that that was the the lid that was on that was preventing me from from um, expanding my life and so it's a painful place personally but clearly there's there's a wider impact and the wider impact on my kids like the the story that I used to describe it was the, the kids being very young want a lot of your time at, at bedtime and so you go and read them the stories and all of that and do the bedtime routine. And Chester in particular, because of his age, he'd, he'd say to me, oh, mummy, can I have another story? And then he'd read him another one. Then he wants another one. Then he wants you to lie with him. And, and I remember doing that as a kid. I remember saying, you know, can somebody stay with me whilst I fall asleep? Just wanting that connection, that comfort. Now, when he would ask me that, I'd have two options. I could either lie with him and read the next story and then lie there with his little arm draped over me whilst he falls asleep. I could do that. But what that would mean for me is I would feel anxious and I would feel agitated and I would feel um, uh, th like the, the stress of the day would be mounting and I would be keen to switch that off with the glass of wine where I know I'm going to get that immediate release. So all the time I'm laid there, I'm building up resentment towards my poor, sweet little boy who just wants his mummy mm -hmm. because I'm just so desperate to shake the day off and escape and numb things for a while. Um, and that was horrible. That was a really horrible place to be. My other, so the, the other option, the other alternative was to say, sorry, son, mummy's really busy tonight. I've got to go and get on with all of my different things. I'll stay with you another night. And then I'd have to, you know, I'd go off and I'd see a sad little face and I'd disappoint him. 
and I'd go and pour myself my drink and then that would, I'd, I'd feel better. I'd feel better for that first 20 minutes when our blood alcohol content's rising and I would feel that release. But then what beyond that? Well, beyond that, I would feel a lot of self-loathing and guilt mm -hmm. because there I am choosing, what am I doing? I'm choosing to have a drink because I'm so desperate to switch off versus spend some time with my little boy that's growing so fast and feel the, you know, the, the warmth of his little hand over my shoulder and his breath on my cheek and all of that. Um, so, so that was a really, um, a really painful place. And I, as I said, at the time I just, I didn't, I didn't have this, um, uh, I didn't have this connection with, with drinking. I didn't see, although um, it was painful, I didn't piece it all together in, uh, in the way that I now know, just like what an impact taking alcohol out, like what impact it can have. Yeah. So just before I found this naked mind, we went, we all went off to Vegas because my, my best friend was getting married. Um, and that weekend it was a long weekend was the first time I've been away from the kids ever. Right. So, so I let loose, didn't I? And I went right back into being the social 20 something year old. That whole trip was just soaked in alcohol. Like mm -hmm. it was, it was crazy. And in, in Vegas, like what a place, absolutely loved it. But I did think like, what am I doing? Like this was afterwards, of course, when I, you know, I came back and decided I'm never drinking again because I felt, I felt so physically ill but, you know, I, like I blacked out while I was there and um, I just thought, like, what, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm nearly 40 and, you know, here I am. Uh, you know, I've got young kids. Like, what if something happened to me? Like, I just thought, like, I can't, I can't carry on like I did in my 20s. This is ridiculous. So although I had a great time, there was a part of me that wondered, well, what would that trip have been like if it hadn't have been quite so alcohol soaked? Mm -hmm. So I decided, right, that's it. I'm not drinking now. I'm cutting it out. And it lasted, I think, about a week, maybe it's a week and a half. <laughs> and then it starts to creep back in again. Because although I'm doing yoga and I've, you know, I've got some techniques that I've picked up from CBT and all of that, it just, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough, as I now know, to work against the effect that alcohol was having on me mm -hmm. and my physiology. So Q divine intervention, which came in the form of a sponsored Facebook ad from this naked mind and the wonderful Annie Grace. So up on my newsfeed comes this um, little ebook called the six vital things to know about moderation, which we can put a, a link to in the show notes. Um, this was the thing that changed my life because it, in a very um, short space of time, I, I learned the science. I learned how alcohol worked with the brain and body and bear in mind that my main reason for drinking was for stress release and relaxation. In a few words, it proved to me um, with science and facts that I couldn't argue with that uh, alcohol was only ever going to do the opposite of what I believed that it was going to do. So there's one belief completely blown out of the water. And it was, it was, so, it was like turning a switch off. So from that point on, I just, I had no desire to drink. It was weird. It was like I'd gone from drinking almost every night and I could take periods, like I could have um, a couple of days here and there, but it was, it was always feeling uh, miserable about it, feeling mm -hmm. like I was missing out, feeling deprived. And here I was now, no desire to drink and I wasn't bothered about it. In fact, I was quite 
curious and intrigued as to um, what it might mean. Like I had this excitement about what was ahead. So um, also though, I did have that, but hang on a minute, what, like all these thoughts pop into my head, what happens when you go to a wedding and there's a toast and what happens, like, how do you socialize with your friends? And um, so I did have an element of fear, but if you think of scales, the fear of what it meant was far outweighed by this excitement about this. It, it was like this opening up and this, this light um, and, and all of the stuff that I just, I couldn't see yet. Like a new reality. Yeah. Yes. So when I knew the two things of I'm destined for more and that life is about more, this was the opening. Mm-hmm. And so I had a week of, um, you know, not drinking and kind of trying to work out how I felt about it all. And then uh, through being on Annie's email list, I then get the invitation to the live alcohol experiment. And I plan to do dry January um, regardless. So I thought, well, this is this is ideal because it then gives me some additional content from this naked mind. It gives me live coaching every day. So I jumped uh, uh, at the chance of joining into that. And so um, throughout December, I didn't drink a lot of December. I didn't drink for the first time over Christmas and that sort of thing. But I did choose to take, I think I had two or three specific data points um, where I did drink to specifically learn um, about my beliefs. Things like, I believe that I like the taste of wine. Well, when I did a mindful drinking exercise, I determined categori- uh, quite, you know, categorically, I did not like the taste of it. And that, again, blew my mind because for all this time, all these years, I believed that I was some wine aficionado and I love the taste of wine. Um, I had another belief. I, I like the way it makes me feel. I like that tipsy, giddy feeling. Well, when I did the mindful drinking exercise, guess what? I bloody well didn't like that feeling at all. And actually what I understood more, what it felt like by bringing conscious awareness to it wasn't this lovely tipsy giddy feeling. It was this closing in feeling. It was this oppressive feeling. It was this shutting down feeling and I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of armed with all of this really interesting data that I didn't have before. And then January 1st hits and I go into this group of thousands of people in this live alcohol experiment. And it was just phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. I got two weeks in and, um, I just remember thinking like my life had changed so drastically and the change was so vast and fast, not just for me, but for other people that I had, like, I had this burning of, I have to be able to bring this to other people. I have to help other mums because there are so many mums just like me that, you know, think that that's, that that's what they have to do to relax at the end of the day. That's the only way to switch off. Um, and th- these cultural messages and the societal messaging around this is is strong and you're working against that. So that was the point that I then got interested in coaching. And uh, by the end of that month, I was interviewing with this naked mind to then become a certified this naked mind coach, went into their training in the March and then certified in the, the August. So it was just that is this, a journey. What a roller coaster it, ride that is. That's great. Yeah, it is. Yeah, like cool. who like in that short space of time, who would have thought at the beginning of December that, you know, less than a couple of months on, I'm then going to be, you know, completely changing my profession. When you you've used the word awakening before, and like I think mm-hmm. in your story, I mean, wow, that's it. 
that is an awakening and a quick one as well. Like to suddenly have that download of just like a, just a reality shift. Like that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge. And then of course you start to get, you start to go down this route. And whilst the training with this naked mind was intense and it took an enormous amount of my focus, it also opened up. So I have two really big values of adventure and development. And it just like stoked that up like nothing else. And so I'm then on to like all of the different other things that I can pick up and learn and piece together. And um, which then was one of the reasons that I went to train uh, with Jolene Park where we met because I was so interested in um, the, the next level of science and getting into the detail about uh, the neuro, you know, the next level of detail around neurotransmitters and mm-hmm. um, your biochemistry and all of that. So it just, um, over that year, last year, I got, I got connected back with myself and who I really was and what I really wanted out of life. And to have these, um, uh, to have these um, values come back into focus and be actually meaningful. My husband's about to open the door and I'm saying, don't open the door. <laughs> right he's, oh, he's, telling, he's, he's going for his COVID he's going for his COVID jab folks. oh there we go <laughs> okay good grief um go so, so he, inter- he interrupted it uh, regardless anyway yeah so that so I got I got back connected with myself these these values came back into focus and it the shift in my life like the things mm-hmm. that I've done in this last year um just like absolutely bloody incredible. And it feels so good to be connected with myself and no longer, um, you know, wondering why I'm here and who is that? Like that, that disconnection was, was horrible to, to feel like there were parts of me that I didn't want to be associated with. And, and of course, and, and people that know me or people that have coached with me will, will know when you, when you remove alcohol, all the stuff comes up, right? And so the stuff that came up for me, the lighter end of it was professional discontent, which of course I dealt with through um, uh, changing my profession and becoming a coach. The darker end of, of things were um, was that some trauma came up from my childhood mm-hmm. and, uh, and also the delayed grief over the death of my father when I was 20. Now these darker things... Uh, were um, potentially quite disruptive. And you sort of think, like, shit, you know, how, how am I going to deal with this? I've clearly been running from this stuff for many, many, many years. And I'm now realizing that this is probably underneath some of the, um, the you know, the reasons why I'm drinking are to suppress these feelings and not have to deal with this stuff. And now I haven't got a safety blanket. I haven't got a ripcord to pull. I haven't got any escape means of escape I have to feel it and I have to feel all of it so how on earth am I going to deal with it and and that's a whole nother episode in itself yeah um lots to cover there yes yeah but just starting to get into this stuff and being able to integrate it allowed me to be connected with myself and to love the little person inside of me and to be able to look back on my past and accept it and not feel fearful of it and not feel resentful of it or upset about it but to be able to accept it and to understand how it's um 
factored into me being the person that I am today. Yeah. Um, so there is there is a before that. So where I started all of this was midway through. Let's start with the kids and the point that my life was blown up by three little beings. There is that there is an earlier part, um, but that that is a part that um, is uh, is more complicated to talk about because of the you know the, in particular those sort of two big things that I've mentioned there, and and that and it, and and both of those things again open up other avenues that I'm sure we'd like to talk about on, on this podcast in future episodes. Yeah. Every time we talk, I realize just how many amazing conversations that we've, we've got waiting in the wings. So that is very exciting. Yeah. Ellie, that's yeah. amazing. Thanks for sharing all that. That's super cool. It's really oh. inspiring to listen to that. Really inspiring. And, and I know that you'll connect with a lot of uh, amazing people and women out there that, you know, just connect with that, with that message. Um, I'm really interested just as like one thing that really stood out for me is that because I was going to ask you um, about whether yoga had helped you when you were saying about, you know, hormonal, hormonal flare ups every month. And, and, and then you said, and then I took up yoga, um, you know, just really quickly. I'm interested, you know, do you think that you now have taken um, trying to think how to word this and you've now got some power back and that you're now when you now approach that or if that happens to you you have different tools in in your toolkit that you can reach for yeah absolutely so even when i even when i was drinking the my yoga practice uh helped me so much Mm -hmm. part of that was having something else to do part of that was having a different kind of focus part of that's having different perception um, and then, of course, there is the the actual tools. So, as you know, the, there are certain breath breathwork practices that we know can help us relax in the moment and enhance calm and, and all that sort of thing. So, um, so having a, a steady yoga practice certainly helped with a lot um, of, of, of that hormonal volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, it'd be di- difficult to quantify just how much. But what I didn't realize at the time was it was limited. So, so I, could, I could spend every minute of every day in some form of yoga practice. Now, you know, yoga is a way of life, isn't it? Um, but th- the thing that was ultimately holding me back was drinking, whether at a low level or a, a, a higher level. And so until I took that out, my yoga practice was only ever going to be able to take me so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the really interesting thing with removing alcohol is that like I could have guessed from the science that it was going to help with reducing anxiety and certainly joining the live alcohol experiment they talk about one of the big things that people report at the end of it is is far reduced anxiety and pleasantly surprised that I was yes sure enough only two to three weeks in my anxiety levels had fallen dramatically so that just shows, you know, how uh, the effect, um, the cyclical effect of, of alcohol oh, yeah. on the brain and body, how big it is. Um, and now I'm having a perimenopausal moment. I've forgotten the second point. <laughs> so good. Um, what was the second point? Um, so I was thinking about the, oh, goodness me, Sam, you're going to have to save me here. I'll save you. I, do, I, I have, I have a it. question that I think is really important to, to leave on. Um, and you know it's a difficult one but you know looking back on everything you've just said that whole incredible sort of journey of awakening and everything you've spoken about 
if you were gonna piecemeal some a 30 second soundbite together of something that you've learned you know what, what would it be I can't, believe, the coaching I can't believe you just you're just asking me this after I've had a perimenopausal moment. <laughs> well you know I, I did sit in afterwards you do yoga now it's fine you can just just deal with it just get over it it's fine um yeah what do you think you've learned go on I know that you've got an answer to this one what's something you would pass on to someone hang on repeat the question what do I think that so I've look, learned in... look, looking back over that journey of awakening with alcohol mm. you know what do you think you know, what message could you send to somebody who is going through something similar or, you know, what's a huge thing you've learned, just a message of, of uh, hope you'd pass on? I think the thing I'd say is trust yourself. Mm-hmm. So uh, it can be very easy because of this disconnection from yourself. It can be very, very easy to not trust yourself. Mm-hmm. And what I know to be true on the other side is you can absolutely trust yourself and, t- and tuning into your intuition is uh, the most important thing because everything that you need you've got inside of you, you know, that you, you don't need to look for anything external. It's all within you. It's just a case of trusting yourself and being open to it. So having enough open-mindedness, enough curiosity, like that, that explanation of just, you know, that little chink of light, that little opening of being, so I was open enough to read the paper about moderation. And Annie um, says at the beginning of it, you might not like what you hear here, or you might not want to believe it. Um, and I still went on and read it. That was my chink. But then phew, what that opened up um, was colossal. Um, now, if I hadn't have trusted my gut, and if I hadn't have been open-minded enough or curious enough, then I wouldn't have carried on reading. I'd have put that to one side or I'd have scrolled on by. So that's, that's what I'd say. Um, it's about your trusting yourself and being open because it's, you know, it, it's, it's all there. It's just a case of whether you are tuned in, I think. Amazing. Cool. Okay. Well, if it's all right with you, Ellie, on that note, I guess we'll click uh, off record and yeah, thanks again for sharing that. I really really privileged to sit and listen to you tell that story because I think it's a powerful one well thank you well I will try to remember the other point I was trying to make and we can edit that in at the end we'll throw it into (laughs) mine we'll shoehorn it in it's all good (laughs) all right mate fantastic okay we are recording we are back we're back we're back Um, Ellie remembered her her really important thing go on tell us I went to make a cup of tea and I remembered (laughs) Um, so we were talking about so the question was about how yoga had helped with the hormonal side of things and I was talking about um, yoga had helped to a point but was limited uh, whilst I was still drinking but then when you remove alcohol the it's it's quite profound the Mm -hmm. impact it has to anxiety levels the other thing that that um I've forgotten the irony, the irony of having a perimenopausal moment at the point I was just about to talk about the, the symptoms, the hormonal symptoms, premenstrual, perimenopausal, menopausal, if you're at that stage of, of your life, the symptoms are vastly reduced when you cut out alcohol. Oh, and, and again, this is we're, what we're going to have to do, Sam, is get an expert. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and there are various people I can talk to about coming on to the show to talk specifically about hormones and, and, um, uh, and alcohol, uh, women's hormones and alcohol, because it is, it is just fascinating. But suffice to say 
the soundbite is that if you are suffering with any kind of peri uh, any kind of perimenopausal symptoms, menopausal symptoms, PMDD, PMS, anything like that, removing alcohol massively reduces the symptoms. So if um, prior to removing alcohol, if I was having these huge spikes once a month, so 95% of the time I'd feel great, I'd feel myself and I'd have this, this spike, or you could think of it as a massive dip. Um, just by removing alcohol, doing nothing else. So nothing else, you know, I'm still in yoga practice and blah, 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 blah. But um, just removing alcohol, like now I still feel, I still feel um, a monthly change. But if it was up here before, you know, we're talking about a tiny little dip now, you know, we go along tiny little dip um, and it's much more manageable and it doesn't feel like you can plan for it as well. When you, when you know what it is, and how it's going to feel you can plan around it <laughs> so uh yeah the irony of having a perimenopausal moment at the point that i wanted to talk about how um taking alcohol out can reduce the hormone the hormonal effects that you feel that is another awesome message though really cool <laughs> okay well look and i totally forgot to say you know um please spread the word like go and write us a review and uh, and uh, send us some love and thanks for listening if uh, if you've been listening which you will have been if you're hearing this <laughs> so <laughs> right I'm, I'm having a moment as well i'll leave it there <laughs> thanks for listening to the second episode of the present and sober podcast um i really hope you enjoyed listening to ellie's story as much as i did what an inspiration next week i'll be sharing with you a little bit um of my story and how i came to be here and look, we just want to say a really massive thank you to anyone that's listened and has been reaching out just with support. It's so lovely to hear that. And yeah, please leave us a review and, and spread the word uh, and subscribe so you uh, you don't miss any future episodes. We are now available on Google and Spotify and, and Apple, all of the big places. Um, so yeah, that's great. And we've also decided that we're going to be weekly, not fortnightly. So you can get your dose of us every week now on a Tuesday. So let's keep making life bigger together.